Right, well, this is going to be a, a big old one, because first of all, we're going to have to go through and make sense of all those dollars and cents. So many dollars and cents have been spent trying to make sense of Spider-Man. So, we'll start from the beginning. Spider-Man, 2002. Budget, $139 million. Box office, $825 million. What a success that film was. And then, of course, you had Spider-Man 2, 2004. Budget, $200 million. Box office, $789 million. Then Spider-Man 3, 2007. Budget, $258 to $350 million. Box office came in at $895 million. So, you know, very successful trilogy there. And then you have, in 2012, The Amazing Spider-Man. Budget. 200 to 230 million dollars box office 758 million dollars the amazing spider-man 2 2014 budget 200 to 295 uh, 3 million dollars box office 709 million dollars and now two two very two i mean thunderously successful spider-man franchises yeah they they, they were successful however spider-man Homecoming, 2017, budget, $175 million. Box office, $880.2 million. It was the sixth highest grossing film of 2017. And after inflation adjustments, uh, it is the least expensive live-action Spider-Man film to date. Well, What a success. Marvel are notorious. Marvel Studios are notoriously uh, skinflints when it comes to production. We've <laughs> we've really heard that, um, mm. and uh, it's put people off working with them in the past. In- incredible to think that you can make a movie like this for that for under two hundred million and get was it the second highest? Mm, sixth, yeah, it's, sixth it's highest. Not, it's still still good. No, no, second highest grossing Spider-Man movie that they've ever made. Oh yes, yes, second um, highest. Yeah, just 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 under Spider-Man three. Mm. Um, incredible. Um, I think we're, like we we. It's it's strange to think that Sony is so desperate to kind of get in bed with Marvel Studios when look those amazing Spider-Man movies are not failures. No, they're not they failures they at all. They didn't make a billion. That seemed to be a sticking point when, like, Avengers came out, 2012, mm. made a billion. It kind of seemed like if you weren't making a billion, you were not doing it right, <laughs> which, you know, this doesn't make a billion a billion dollars. And, you know, I, I know it's made more than the Amazing Spider-Man mm. movies did, but not a huge amount more. Um I, yeah, it's interesting. It's a very interesting. I, I, I know you've got more to tell us on the Sony Marvel Studios deal. I'm excited to hear about that. Um, but one thing that we thought we were going to introduce, as we mm. just kind of been thinking a little bit more about about um, about the behind the scenes section, you know, we're looking back at things that are kind of you know quite quite a way off these days. You know, um, how, what are we five years removed from this movie coming out? Yeah. Um, so uh, perhaps just uh, a little context about what the world was like when this movie came out. Um, of course, 2017 saw uh, Donald Trump elected, um, or sworn in. Sorry, he was elected the year before. Yeah. Wasn't he? Well, 2016 as, was a weird sworn year. Sworn in as president, it was indeed. <laughs> um, 
We had the uh, envelope gate at the Oscars, oh. where <laughs> not, was it La La Land is announced as best picture instead of Moonlight. God, and there was a big mix-up. People started to. It was it was old Warren Beatty when it getting it wrong, um, or, or was it Faye Dunaway? I forget. And then uh, big confusion and all of that. The first time that had ever happened. Um, in this country, we, we, we had this incredible One Love concert in Manchester to mm. uh, to benefit the victims of this horrible, horrible bombing that took place um, yeah. at Ariana Grande concert. Ariana Grande will always have a very special place in my heart for this. The the, the, the What she was able to do and put together mm. um, uh, in, in this concert and the money they were able to raise, incredible. You know, it was Justin Bieber was there, Black Eyed Peas, Coldplay, Miley Cyrus... Uh, Mac Miller, everybody was there. Uh, Liam Gallagher, take that. <laughs> um, I don't know why I ended on take that. I just found that funny. Um, <laughs> and they, they they raised huge, huge, huge amounts of money. Mm. You know, I think something like ten million was raised in, in twenty four hours for the for the British Red Cross. Incredible. Of course, we had the um, Handmaid's Tale being released and being like the. TV event yeah. of, of the of the year. I I never um, got round to seeing it, but I've read the book, and it's a very hard going book. The books are, the books amazing. It's incredible, the book is amazing. It's up yeah. there with 1984. It's 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 an amazing story. Mm. Um and and almost like going hand in hand with that, we had <laughs> the Harvey Weinstein uh, saga and the sort of the uh, I don't know if it was the beginning of the Me Too movement, but it certainly yeah. um, pushed it and, and and put a lot of fuel on the fire in getting that into the public consciousness, mm. changing the way we kind of talk about um, about predatory behaviour. Mm. Bit deep for our show and. <laughs> Massively as well, we had we had the Wonder Woman movie came out. Yeah, um, the the best reviewed DC Universe movie ever. Yeah, um, box office uh, smash. And uh, what did you and, think yeah. of it, Wonder Woman film? I I think I enjoyed everything except for the the end fight, which I thought was uh, lame. I I thought it, it looked like I, I've had yeah. nine million Magneto fighting people movies. <laughs> they all suck. <laughs> like a guy in the air moving his hand as as bits of machinery and cars fly around. They suck. They absolutely suck. Yeah. Once was enough, and I didn't need to see another. 10 movies of it X-Men but there were some so really nice touches for the end in of it. the Wonder Woman movie yeah. to just be that was was really lame I felt oh no no absolutely I, there were some nice touches in it and I thought when I saw uh, Batman uh, Superman versus Batman I thought Wonder Woman was the best thing about that movie and absolutely I didn't bother with the second Wonder Woman film I'm a bit iffy about a lot really of the DC really lame it's really sucks oh it's a, a shame, shame. But let's not get distracted by DC. Nope. We've set kind of the the world in which Homecoming um, comes out. It's a world of Handmaid's Tale of of and of Wonder Woman, but equally of the Harvey Weinstein scandal, uh, Trump as president, and uh, and a lot of other uh, peculiarities in 2017. Will, what can you tell us about behind the scenes on this movie? Well, this is going to be quite funny because this is yet another uh, Marvel film. That was affected by the November tw- uh, 2014 hacking of Sony's computers. It's like the fourth or fifth one we've we've looked at now, isn't it? That it, it just makes you what makes you realise how big that was at the time. Because mm. you think hacking computers of a de- thing like that is like, oh yeah, it's just a bunch of files, it's just a bunch of stuff from an important people. But no, it had a huge effect. So following this hacking, uh, emails between Sony Pictures Entertainment co-chairman Amy Pascal and President Dun- uh, Doug Belgrad were released, stating. 
that Sony wanted Marvel Studios to produce a new trilogy of Spider-Man films while Sony retained creative control, marketing and distribution. Discussions between Sony and Marvel broke down and Sony uh, planned to proceed with its own slate of Spider-Man films. However, in February 2015, Sony Pictures and Marvel Studios announced that they would release a new Spider-Man film with Kevin Figg and Pascal producing the latter through her company, Pascal Pictures. Just a quick thing. Uh, I've been picked up by a few people about my uh, pronunciation of, uh, of Monsieur Fig. Uh, turns out that in German, that word means fig, <laughs> which I find hilarious. Uh, anyway, next. Basically, we, we don't care. We don't care. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> we don't care if you listen to a four hour three hour if you listen to one of our incredible episodes and the only thing you've got to say to us is you slightly mispronounce the thing we don't care we don't care he's the if that's all you can say to us then jog on big, I'm not interested big daddy kev he's the uh he he, he, he can take it <laughs> he can take a mispronunciation i'm not sure about the rest of them but i'm sure he's happy with it he's fine but there's a thing you should all know about criticism is that it tends to make us double down so you won't get your you won't get your desired <laughs> results not from not from me oh um, boy so the character would first appear in an earlier marvel cinematic universe film later revealed to be as we all know captain america civil war Marvel Studios would explore opportunities to integrate MCU characters into future Spider-Man films, which Sony Pictures would continue to finance, distribute, and have final creative control over. That didn't happen. That didn't happen, did it? Okay. Well, what Sony Pictures movie has a Marvel Studios MCU character in? Um, I I thought we were just talking about the spot the Spider-Man films. Eh, I mean, yeah. But it's not the the full scope of what they wanted. It's not it was can't. the full scope of what they wanted was Venom would feature <laughs> Captain America or Iron Man in it, and and whatever uh, the Black Cat movie would have Black Widow in it or whatever. That so we they they yeah it it it, it is restrained exclusively to. Spider Man gets to join the MCU. Yeah, it's that's how it ended. We're not we're not putting our MCU characters in your other movies. Of course. But obviously uh, both studios have the ability to terminate the agreement at any point. And no money was exchanged with the deal. And two thousand eleven, uh, in a two thousand eleven renegotiated uh, renegotiation designed to resolve years of behind the scenes legal disputes and provide Sony with much needed cash, the Japanese company gave up its share of merchandise rights and Marvel, now owned by Disney, agreed to forego its 5% of film revenue as well as making a one-time payment of $175 million and up to $35 million uh, for each future film. So there was a lot lot of dealings between the two companies. It, it's so weird that mm. Sony in 2011 had to go, we need a cash injection. We no longer will we'll give up our merchandising rights. That's crazy. Yeah, because you think of Sony as this big, unstoppable giant. I mean, they have the best, one of the best video game consoles of all time. But you just also think of how how we know historically from movies, like that the merchandise deal can be one of the most lucrative things. You oh, know? absolutely! Ever since Star yeah. Wars, it's that, proven to be. Yeah, like, that's 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 that great urban kind of story yeah. about Lucas and Star Wars. Yeah, I love that story. It was uh, very 
Very smart thinking. Uh, Marvel had been working to add Spider-Man to the Marvel Cinematic Universe since at least October 2014 when they announced their slate of Phase 3 films with Fig saying, Marvel doesn't announce anything officially until it's set in stone. So we went forward with that plan A in October, with the plan B being if the deal were to happen with Sony, how it would all shift. We've been thinking about the Spider-Man film as long as we've been thinking about Phase 3. That's, so they must have had they had like essentially two plans for phase three just to, I, I now I want to know what the other plan would have been I have a feeling they would have shifted films a bit and then well it just wouldn't have had Spider-Man in it would it yeah. I mean phase three doesn't rely on Spider-Man for any of the wait does fate fa- yes it does because phase three includes uh, Infinity War and Endgame isn't it it does but you could do Infinity War and Endgame without yeah, Spider-Man completely yeah Definitely. you lose a big emotional moment but oh. you they don't know that at the time when they're making all these deals do they we will so get- yeah he doesn't it's not like they go oh we need him for this pivotal thing that happens yeah you know, we will get to that emotional moment when we eventually do Infinity War which I've been salivating at for as long as we've been doing this podcast Fig said the character of Peter Parker would be around 15 to 16 years old in the film which would not be an origin story since there have been two retellings of the origin in the last 13 uh, years or so so we're going to take it for granted that people know that and the specifics that's a quote from Kevin Fig. I'm very bad at telling her quotes. Uh, I should do an accent for him. Uh, Parker's Uncle Ben is still referenced in the film, but not by name. There was some discussion to include a direct reference to Ben when Peter is getting ready for his homecoming by the revelation that his wardrobe consisted of Ben's clothes. But the writers desisted uh, because they felt that the moment veered away from Parker's character arc and made Ben's death feel like a throwaway line. That's interesting, considering the most recent film where it would appear that this MCU Peter Parker doesn't have an Uncle Ben. Yeah. Again, so, that's another film I can't wait to get my teeth into. Plans plans clearly changed at yeah. some point. It's interesting the way they handled that. Mm. Uh, director John Watts only made his first movie in 2014, a horror that's movie. That's mad. That's mad. Yeah, that is that, that is, is mad. mad. That is mad. You make your your first little movie, which is a which is a in 2014. Mm. Three years later, you're directing a huge franchise movie. Yeah, but then again, if you do if you're in a franchise movie, you've got a lot of cushioning. I think like you, like it's not your project almost. It's like you're still under quite a lot of people. I think, but still huge thing no it's yeah it's it's the amount of like marvel seem to do a lot of this i think Mm. it must be i think i think what you're trying to say is that there's a bigger infrastructure for these movies and i think you're probably right because marvel seem to trust huge movies to people that don't have huge experience and they got quite a, a few diverse directors recently which has been quite interesting anyway in 2014 john watts directed his first movie which was a horror called Clown! The movie came about in an unusual way. Watts and his friend, Christopher Ford, had made a fake trailer for a film about a father turning into a killer clown after trying on an old costume he finds in his basement. After he uploaded the trailer to YouTube, Watts was approached by Eli Roth with an offer to produce a feature version. Mental. Mm. As we know, Eli Roth uh, directed the film Hostel. I went on to to f- uh, form this big um, 
horror movie production company on the back of the success of Hostel. Yeah, he's 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 uh, he's quite a figure in the genre. Uh, what's route to Spider-Man happened in a similar fashion? He said. I made like a mood reel, just editing together a bunch of clips uh, into almost like a fake trailer to show people the tone I was imagining. And I storyboarded a bunch of sequences that I sent to them and just, I I thought it was going to be really good practice for pitching to big studios. I really just bothered Marvel Studios and everyone at Sony until they took notice. So twice he's uh, managed to kind of will his movie career into existence by making a fake trailer and, and, and sending it out. Do you know what that says to me? That says to me, he goes, if I get the buzz behind it, if I get the proof of concept behind it, instead of trying to shove my script in everyone's face, if I do the next step, then people will be more interested. It sounds like a very clever well, way yeah, of doing it. Well, yeah, he's not a writer, so he's no. not a guy with the script. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, very interesting to uh, to hear that. It's a good approach. Uh, it's a very new approach. On joining the MCU and directing the film, John Watts said he was excited to explore the ground level of the MCU, a world where characters like the Avengers exist, but they only have been depicted in previous films as the penthouse level of the Marvel world. I think that's a really great um, approach to take and have yeah. it fits Spider-Man perfectly. It does, because you, you get the... <sighs> I remember watching Daredevil and the whole idea of the Avengers because uh, they all kept referring to the Battle the, of New you York. You mean the Netflix series? Netflix series, sorry, Daredevil, the Netflix yeah. series. They kept referring to the Battle of New York as the incident and there was yeah. barely any mention of the Avengers and it, it didn't feel like penthouse level there. It felt like worlds apart but it was still mm. around. So this, I like this because it's within the universe but you do get this, hey, we're just the, we're just the regular guys on the street trying to trying to get by day to day rather than we're in a high-tech government office or in Asgard or whatever. And it's really, it's a really nice yeah, approach. Absolutely. Now, this is what I found really interesting. The cast had to watch a John Hughes movie marathon to prepare. This movie is first and foremost a coming-of-age tale. So John Watch turned to the master of such stories, John Hughes. He said, he gave us a lot of movies to watch. Tom Holland said during an interview with Pop Sugar UK, God, there's so many movies. And we basically just all sat down in my house in, in Atlanta, all the cast, and we just watched them all in one day and just had like a Domino's day. It was amazing. The Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Pretty in Pink. There were loads of them. And it really comes off here, doesn't it? In places. I think it really comes off. I think it does definitely feels like very much like a, a coming of age movie. It's very um, the, sen- the 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 comedy sensibilities are, are probably are probably yeah they're um, quite Hughesian. Yeah, do you know uh, me and my mum's favourite uh, John Hughes movie is Uncle Buck. Yes, in one Uncle Buck. Of course, it's the best one. That's why <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. It's the best one. It's such an underrated film. I think I have a soft spot for Pretty in Pink, but I think it is it is Uncle Book's the best. Never never seen that one, but I've heard good things. Anyway, prior to its release, this movie saw the debut of numerous pitch perfect posters celebrating Spidey's first film set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Of them, the image featuring the hero leisurely lying next to a body of water wearing his high school academic decathlon blazer with a pair of headphones on stood out. As it turns out, however, the pose wasn't conceived of by a genius marketer. It Let's was... just stop there before we get to the cool bit of that. Yeah. And just have a moment to talk about 
uh, why that's um, why that connected with so many people because right. he's casual. Hundred percent. He is. But he, what what does that kind of convey about it, it? It it very much conveys that he's a kid. He's he's a free spirited youngster. Yeah, which definitely. you don't get from anyone else in the MCU at that point. It's not. It's not Thor or Iron Man or Cap like rah, kind of like in an action pose. It's completely different. It's a completely different vibe, and it lets you know that the movie is going to have a very different. Kind of energy to it, well, yeah. Not just the MCU, but if you look at all Spider-Man posters before that, there's not an air of yeah, menace. He's generally in, in in action in the air. He's about to pounce in every single Spider-Man uh, poster. He's about to pounce or swing into action. This guy's like, I'm just a kid. I'm just chilling <laughs> out here. And it's something like that. Yes. yes so something. tell us about it. Tell us about. I'll it, tell then. you about it before I do any more accents. As it turns mm, that'd out, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. <laughs> the poster wasn't conceived by a genius marketer. It was a picture of Tom Holland taken when he was entirely unaware. In an interview during a press junket in Mexico City, Holland explained that the poster was a picture snapped while he was napping on set. He said, "This is actually me asleep." That's not part of the movie. That's me in between takes asleep. We were shooting this scene and I was just really tired that day. And when I was just asleep on the floor and the photographer took a picture. So when they made that the poster, I was like, what? What the hell, guys? <laughs> Unreal. Really is. I, I like I like it. It's nice, but it's a bit weird. It's been observed that the previous Sony Pictures incarnation of the Spider-Man had little of the character's uh, thought soliloquies from the comics, which robbed him of his introspective nature because it was considered difficult to convincingly convey that kind of speech in the film medium. The Karen digital assistant character in Spider-Man's first suit from Tony Stark solves that problem by giving Peter someone to talk to while in costume. Furthermore, the costume's adjustable eyepieces helped give Spider-Man's full face mask a degree of expressiveness to avoid the need to have him continually unmask for important scenes, thus re-establishing the character's visual universality. I don't know. I don't think it's going to do with universality. It's got to do with uh, it's dumb for someone protecting his identity to keep taking his mask off. Yeah, it makes me think of Deadpool because the Deadpool visual universality. Come on, I, I I've always wanted to use that word. You know me. Uh, Deadpool had that thing where he had expressive eyes with his costume, which I really liked. He had the white eyes, but they were expressive. Yeah, it's directly from the comics and and mm. from some of the cartoons and stuff. Yeah, it's it's generally artistic. I don't know if there's any need to kind of explain how it happens. Mm. It's usually artistic kind of uh, license, isn't it? In a in a in a, in a drawn form. <laughs> Do you know um, what I'm thinking? If they just had a, uh, a Batman Begins esque montage of him trying trying to get his face mask to go, oh, I want to show expressiveness through these eyes. <laughs> I'm going to put some wiring in. <laughs> it, it helps that it's a tech suit, isn't it? So you, I don't know if... I think you could hear it whirring yeah. the first time you see it. I do. I did love that whirring with the eyes because it was like, hey, they're doing expressiveness. It doesn't need to be done, but it's a nice little feature, isn't it? Also, when I was going through the Spider-Man animated series, the 90s animated series Spider-Man, there was a lot of soliloquy going on. And I, as soon as I read this, I was like, oh, yeah, he does talk to himself a lot in that. I think he, he, even um, without the talking to the AI thing, mm. he um, we get in that wonderful montage, there's an awful lot of kind of talking 
out loud to as he interacts with people. Yeah. There's an awful lot of yeah. Spider Man does need to be. Um, you need to be talking about his his internal thoughts because it's a huge part of the comics and the character. He's a very chatty person as well. According to James Gunn, Stanley's cameo in this film is one of four Lee cameos filmed in one day. Itself along cameo appearances in Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy, and another title he did not specify, although it is suggested it would be Thor Ragnarok. That just sounds like brilliant uh, scheduling to me. <laughs> late, late interviews with with Stan, he would reveal that he does not quite he does not have any idea what movies he's in. Um, he 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 doesn't. I mean, it, he was very advanced in years. He was practically blind, um, so he couldn't read. And he, and he just, you know, he was. And and you know, he's he's ninety whatever, and he's brought to his set, and he's on. A, he's just stand over there and say this now, stand now, stand over there and say that. So he was, you know, promoting these things, but he's like, I'm not sure what movies I've been in yet. <laughs> I, I I went to a studio and I filmed a bunch of things, but I don't know what the movies what movies they were for. What a legend. Uh, in the comics, Flash Thompson was a burly football player. This was updated to make him a wealthy, smug character to fit modern portrayal of bullies. Tony Revolori received death threats, apparently, for playing the role of bully Flash Thompson, which I find a bit bit strong. That's a bit much. Uh, yeah, there are racists all over the place, and they're horrible people. Ooh, very bad. It, you can't tell me it's got anything to do with his personality being slightly different. Oh, it's no. It's completely no. to do with the fact that Flash in the comics has been traditionally drawn as a white person mm. and uh, and Tony isn't. I, I do like that change, though, because a burly... Because, like, let's see, previous incarnations of Flash Thompson, in the, in the Raimi films, he was just spiky-haired, you know, guy who looks like he listens to, you know, punk music and... He, He's um, Shazam. That was... Oh, is it... Uh, who was that actor called again? It's that actor, uh, Chuck... Whatever from Chuck, because he's. I'm just doing his two roles. Is, is, yeah, Shazam Chuck. Because he popped up in something recently. I was Captain like, Chuck. Yeah, Captain Captain Chuck. Yeah, it was him. And then, of course, in uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, Flash Thompson looks like he's one day bad day away from shooting up the entire high school with an AR-15. Yeah, he's intense in those ones. It's, so this was actually quite a nice subtle change, because it's like, oh, a bully you think is just muscle and blunt force, but no, this is a negging little man. Yeah, I insecure. don't know if I call this guy a bully. Yeah, it's a. I don't know. I got bullied by people like him in school. I did. I know it's. Did did you though? Don't, I don't know if this is bullying. Don't retcon my childhood again, Rob. It's just. Uh, did you, you know? Did you get? Did you did, get? Was that what happened? Yeah, it was. It was a very odd time. Uh, while previous Spider-Man films essentially glanced over the teenage experience, this interpretation will. Uh, would be like a superhero film with a hint of John Hughes. Unlike Peter Parker, though, Tom Holland grew up in London and had to dress in formal attire for school. So to help his lead, this leading man get into character, director John Watts instructed Holland to go undercover as a student at the Bronx High School of Science. Putting on an accent and assuming an alias, Holland reportedly blended into the crowd. In the same vein as Peter, he managed to tackle high school while also maintaining his secret identity, proving Holland was ready to become Spider-Man. That in, is in, in insane lengths to go to. Hey, you got to do the methods. You got to do the method acting. Well, we got a good result on the other end of it. I, I, maybe that was a p- big part of it. Who knows? I, I don't know how that was really needed, though. But it did make me realise. Oh God, school in this country is so different to school in America, where we're all in uniform. Mm. Yeah. Uh, quick 
last couple of quick facts. Uh, Mark Hamill wanted to play the Vulture if Michael Keaton turned the part down. Could you imagine Mark Hamill as the Vulture? I think I can imagine Mark Hamill as any villainous role, really. Yeah, um, I can I'd be concerned it would slip into the trickster slash Joker yeah. kind of slightly zany, but he's he's very good at all the he's very good, yeah, at playing at playing bad guys. I think he he trumps more at voice acting than actual acting, but yeah, I, I could see it. Uh, and this is my favourite fact, uh, <laughs> and we had to double check this: the working title of the film was Summer of George. <laughs> Which is, of course, a reference to a Seinfeld episode. Potential Marissa Tomei reference, I think. It's a combination. Um, The majority of the film is filmed in Georgia. That's what I've looked up. Uh So it's a, I guess, the fact that, you know, they need um, a lot of working titles are actually these days um, to hide what is being made. Of course. Um, So they come up with kind of a fake title. The famous one is that when they were shooting Doctor Who... Um, it was all done under the name Torchwood, which is just an anagram of Doctor Who. Oh. And then down the line, they decided to. That's actually kind of a cool, kind of a cool word, and they they incorporated it into some of the stories. Um, but yeah, some, it was being filmed in the summer in Georgia. Marissa Tomei's in the movie Summer of Georgia. Thanks for joining us as we revisit some of our favourite moments from Marvel versus Marvel. Don't forget our full-length episodes are jam-packed with hours of Marvel trivia, behind the page, behind the scenes, and comic book Marvel history. 